Thanks for listening to this sermon from River of Life Alliance Church. We hope the Holy Spirit uses it to point you toward Jesus. If you call River of Life home, we'd encourage you to join a journey group where you can unpack our sermons with a group of people who want to get to know you, who will care for you, read the Bible with you, pray over you, and serve alongside you. Father, as we come in this morning, will you just meet us in this place and uh, slow us down. God, the pace of our lives are so fast. Sometimes we just have a hard time slowing down and listening and just being with you. And so, God, this morning, as we go through some of these things that will equip us in order to be people who can share the good news that has changed our lives, Lord, would you, would you just calm us in our spirits? There's other things we could be thinking about. There's our problems we could think about. There's the busyness of life we can think about. But right now, will you help our attention to be on your word and what you want to say to us through this? And maybe in the midst of that, Lord, you will, you will bring peace into the other stuff. So Lord, we take a deep breath and we ask you to work this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What is the gospel of Jesus Christ? If I asked you to explain what the gospel is, could you do it? You know, if we did a little experiment this morning and I said to you, what are the essential things to include in the sharing of the gospel? And we went person to person and jotted down what you said. My bet is we would get a list that would be quite different. Though we agree on Jesus Christ, we might include or say things differently. That would be a wide span. One person might emphasize the word choose. Another person might emphasize the word elect. One person might insist on the belief in a literal six-day creation. Another may have reason to avoid using words like receive Jesus into your heart. Another might emphasize that it's all about the heart. So there's a lot of confusion about what the gospel is, right? And in some ways, the Bible and the church itself maybe lends to some of that confusion because of the number of terms it uses to describe what it looks like to be saved, what the gospel is. We see terms like be born again, saved and salvation. I'm a Christian or I'm a Jesus follower. We use words like I'm ex- I've accepted Jesus into my heart. I'm a believer. I'm a follower. I've decided to follow Jesus. We could write a song about that one. I've given my life to Christ. I'm converted. There's all kinds of terms, some of them Bible terms, some of them church terms trying to help us describe it. We've used different uh, packages that help us encompass what the gospel is. And in the sense, what we've done is we've taken the gospel, we've put it into a box so it's easy to understand, and we've used that fourfold spiritual, sorry, the four, the, the spiritual, four spiritual laws. That's what I'm trying to say. The four spiritual laws we've, we've popped out there as one of those means. But those are not the gospel. Those are simply a tool for the gospel. Perhaps the confusion comes because we're not quite sure what the essentials are of the gospel of Jesus Christ are. I mean, we all agree the gospel is amazing. The gospel is awesome. But what exactly are the essentials of the gospel? Is mental acknowledgement of Jesus' death and resurrection enough? Is it important for a person to adhere to all of your doctrine in order to be saved? What about the person who says, I've always believed? Does a person need to believe in pre-trib or a post-trib position in order to be saved? And others of you are going, what are those things? 
Is it sufficient to assume that just because we see a person in church and we see them doing some good, that they must be saved? Is it okay if I just say, well, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus too. Is it okay for a person who to sit on the floor and wear different clothes than we wear? Is that the mark of a Christian? You know, by the way, that video, interesting video, we had a group of our students from our, our old church that went down there and got to minister in, at that location. And it, it was neat. They came back just with their eyes open at the opportunity to minister to people from other cultures. And the, that, that place, by the way, has worked really hard to avoid the mistakes of syncretism. But yet they, you still see their culture come out. And what was neat in that is, is that the kids were transformed by that, but they had a little bit of a problem when they came back. They were trying to convince us that we could get rid of the chairs and, and they could dress however they want. I'm, they were only joking, but it was still funny. They said, hey, and I said, well, it's our culture. We're not getting rid of that stuff. Sorry. So what ends up happening, though, is confusion in our minds over what exactly the gospel is leads us to do something. Leads us to do something we probably regret in our lives, but it leads us to do something which is called being completely paralyzed. We just don't do anything because we don't know what to do. What should I say? How should I say it? And a lot of times then we just sit on our hands. We hope that a professional will take care of it. Yet we know that God has commissioned us and called us. You know, I know a man who bought a brand new car. And this car came with an awesome stereo that was more of a computer than it was a stereo. And some of you can relate to the overwhelming feeling of new cars and their, their stereos. All the things that it could do for him were, were explained to him when he was in the dealership. But he had so much confusion over how to use it. He didn't really use it. And he just continued to listen to the radio. And that's all he did with that thing that could have done so much more. So often that's what's happened to us with the gospel. The confusion over exactly what it is has led us to sit on our hands. God's taken me on a journey as well. A journey that has come through many things. And I'm still in that process of what God's doing in me. I remember as a kid growing up feeling like I should share my faith. I even learned some tools that would help me share my faith with other people. But I shared with you a couple of weeks ago that that felt kind of canned and a little bit phony for me to do it in such a, a presentation format. And God has shown me over time that my faith can be shared with people in just a normal relational way, what I call just normal evangelism, where you can just talk to people about who you are and what you believe. I remember, though, through that process, some of the things that God had to do, and I appreciate the process that God took me through. When I graduated from high school, I went to uh, an event that was called Operation Good News. And it was one where God took me a step further. Because as I got to that, I came to that event because I felt guilty about sharing, not sharing my faith. And what I felt in my mind was, if I would share my faith, I could please God in a sense of earn favor with God. And I started going through this process, and as the week went on, and as I began to share my faith with people that, in this case, I didn't know, I was frustrated. And I was frustrated because people weren't responding. But there's one distinct moment that God took me through in that week. It was an evening towards the end of the week, and there was a, a speaker who shared that night in some worship time, and God broke through in my life to show me something. 
You see, I was feeling extreme guilt for people in my past who I had not shared the gospel with. I was graduated from high school and looking back and going, all these friends that I knew, and I didn't share the gospel with them. A lot of it was I was confused, I was ashamed of my faith, I was afraid of what they would think of me. And there were a lot of mixed, warped reasons for why I hadn't shared my faith. And I remember one night, just the overwhelming sense, through both the speaker sharing the word and the worship, the overwhelming sense that God loved me. He just loved me, even though I hadn't done all that. And I could sit and rest in that spot and realize God accepted me for who I was, my mistakes and my failures. But in the middle of finding that God loved me, he planted something in me. And he began to do a work in me. And I didn't see a lot of fruit of that over the next number of years. As I hit my mid-20s to late 20s, and as I was looking at 30 years old, I was going through a little bit of a process, um, maybe an early life crisis. I don't know what it was. But I was looking at myself wondering, Brian, when are you going to be serious about your faith? When are you going to be to the point where your faith is 100% who you are? When are you going to man up and be a leader in a church? When are you going to be somebody who will step forward and share your faith in different ways? And God was stirring in conviction in me in this time. And I remember it's a process of several years that God was doing this in me. God began to clarify the call of sharing the gospel with people in a very normal life-on-life way. He began to flesh that out and gave me opportunities. And I'll tell you at least one of those in just a minute. Today, our goal is to do something very specific. Today is an equipping day. Our goal is to clarify exactly what the gospel is, what the facts of the gospel is, and equip us as a church in a very easy, simple way to know what it is that I would take somebody through. What is the gospel? And so that's what we're going to do today. Today, you find yourselves in part three of a four-part series that we're talking through called Lost and Found, where we're looking at and equipping us as a church to be able to share our faith. How do I share the good news? Uh, Two weeks ago, we looked at the lostness of man, the eternal state of man outside of Jesus Christ. Last week, we looked at John chapter one, and we noticed that the disciples' process was come and see Jesus. And we came to the realization that evangelism is simply pointing a person to see Jesus. And in order to help somebody come and see Jesus, we needed a relationship with people. We need the word to do its work. And we need to experience Jesus, which comes through the the work of the Holy Spirit in order for that to happen. But we still may be a little bit vague on what the gospel is. Because just because somebody saw Jesus, does that mean that they're saved? Does that mean that they've had a transformation, a conversion, as you might call it? The word gospel literally means good news. It's used 93 times in the New Testament. And it's a term that's frequently popped out there as a way of describing this awesome news that we have. You can only give away the good news that you own yourself. And Jesus calls us as followers to be people who give away that good news that was shared once with you. So what we're talking about this morning is communicating the gospel to a person. How do I communicate it? Because language, because words matter in the description of it. It's the process where the communication is heard, but the Holy Spirit takes that and a person moves from being unregenerate to a term that we call being regenerated. That is the work of the Holy Spirit in creating a new life 
in a sinful person who repents and comes to belief in Jesus Christ. That's what regeneration is. We might use the term conversion, that point in time, that spot where a person says, I'm turning to Jesus Christ. We're going to base ourselves in 1 Corinthians 15 at the beginning of this message. So why don't you turn there with me here? And we're going to begin in a passage of scripture that's written by the Apostle Paul. And it's written to a church he dearly loves because it's a church that he has planted and he spent nearly a year and a half with. Let's read this as we look at it. You see something right off the bat when we read it. Notice that the gospel has been given to Paul, one of the most unlikely people, and then given now to the Corinthians. The gospel has been passed person to person. That's how the gospel moves. The good news was intended to be distributed person to person. And so we start in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 and 2. Now I, Paul, would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and in which you stand and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. Now we're going to stop right there for just a second and we need to remind ourselves of a couple of things because the amazing power of the gospel being described right there in those two verses, you may miss it if you go past it really fast. The first thing that we need to remember is who exactly was the Apostle Paul? The Apostle Paul had a job before he was a Christian. Before he was converted to Christ or regenerated in Christ, he had a job. And do you know what that job was? To stop the spread of Christianity. He was a persecutor of people like you and me if we have placed our trust in Jesus Christ. He was dead set on stopping that. And yet God broke into a highly unlikely person's life. Acts chapter 9 describes this story. Paul, a man on a mission to go to a city named Damascus, is on his way there. You might look at Paul and say, there's no way Paul could ever become a believer. Look at that guy's life. He is the furthest person from Jesus. There's no way he would do it. He's on the road and all of a sudden in front of him is a bright light. It's so bright it blinds him. He looks at it and he can't see anymore in front of him. But that bright light is Jesus there, that resurrected Jesus there. And the glory of his being there is so bright, like the other times described in scripture where where God appears to man. It's so bright. And in that moment, there's a a voice that speaks to him. And it's a voice of Jesus as described in Acts chapter 9. And that voice asks him why he's persecuting him. Do you think that would get your attention? If you were driving down the road at night, or maybe even in the day, and all of a sudden there's a light so bright that it blinds you, and you know it's not a semi, that this is a light that you can't, you couldn't go around, you can't do anything but stop because it's so bright, and then you hear a voice, and that voice calls out to you in a confrontational way, why are you persecuting me? It got Paul's attention. It got Paul's attention so much that he changed his way of life. And right in that moment, he wants to know what is going on. And God sends him to a man, Ananias. And that man in in this city doesn't know if he should right away accept Paul. Because in the disciples there too, I mean, Paul's been known as a persecutor of Christians. And Ananias' job was to help Paul in his newfound faith. No longer is he now an enemy of the cross. He is now coming to fellowship with Jesus Christ. And that is the miracle of the gospel when Paul describes this and he tells them how he's bringing something that he received. He's bringing to them what has happened to him. That's amazing. And yet look at what's happened in the city of Corinth. 
You see, Paul, after he was converted, was then appointed by God for a very special mission. And he became a missionary traveling throughout the known world at that time. All throughout the lands and helping places have beachheads of the gospel established as churches were planted. Oh, there's a need for the church to be planted, for there to be beachheads of the gospel. And that's exactly what Paul did. We need it here in the United States and in, on the Western Slope. And we need it in Africa and Australia and in Asia. It needs to be everywhere. Paul had that mission placed on him. And he ends up in a city called Corinth. It's a big city, about 700,000 people, an enormous city for those days. It's a very important city in Greece. Here it had two thriving ports, which was very unique It was a place where it was good for the economy to have all those people coming in and out and trade could happen because of those ports. It was also a crossroads of all the world coming together in one place. That brought good, but it also brought some other things. A lot of ideas and a lot of corruption came into the city and was actually embraced in this city. You see, the city of Corinth is probably one of the least likely beachheads for the gospel. And yet here it was, was a a thriving church as Paul preached the gospel because God was already out there preparing people. God was going to do his work despite what you might think would happen in a place like that. And so this place was very self-indulgent. It was sin-crazed. It was kind of like the Wild West of its day. To call someone Corinthian was to suggest that they were immoral and a wild drunkard. The sexual immorality of that day would rival any perverted culture that we know today. It was, that perversion was gross and it was public. The idol worship was rampant with, with temples and idols just everywhere. And if you were a Christian and walked into that, you would just be like, how could this be? How could a culture go this far? Imagine if you were even somewhat of a moral person trying to raise a child in the middle of that kind of a culture. One commentator said of Corinth, sadly, the culture of Corinth fully and willingly embraced their own culture of triple X entertainment, vice, crime, and corruption, unparalleled in the ancient world. Yet, the gospel is brought into that city. The gospel gets brought into that city. Do you ever wonder... If there's any way the gospel could possibly penetrate into the life of somebody that is completely opposed to Christ. Do you have a family member like that? God does the work. And he did it in Paul. And he did it in the city of Corinth. And he did it well ahead of Paul coming. He began to prepare hearts. God's work can rarely be explained by human abilities or human uh, Ability to to manipulate a situation. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And that's exactly what he did there. In Acts chapter 18, you would find the story of how Paul went to that city, a, a place that you would think is impossible ground to till. And the gospel was preached there. And he began to preach a message. And this message wasn't about how sinful the people were. You see, oftentimes we look at the gospel and we pretty much focus on the part of we're sinners and if we could just get out of that, good, we can be out of the sin. But the gospel is so much more than the negative news. The gospel points out our sin. But the gospel, what it does is frees us to have fellowship with Jesus. It removes all the obstacles to that. That a person like you and I who, there's no way, like how could Brian Wiggins be saved? 
But the gospel is what opens up access that I could have fellowship with Jesus again. That's what's beautiful about the gospel. What the beauty of it is has nothing to do, well, it does have something to do with the fact that I'm a sinner, but, but it takes that away, and I can be with Jesus. I have access to him. And so Paul talks about just the basic message of the gospel, the facts of the gospel. See them in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 now. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. So Paul's received this. He's heard it. Now he's given it to them. And this is the basic message. That Christ died for, for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. And that he was buried. That he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. That's it. That's the basic facts of what the gospel is about. As simply as it could be put. That's what it's about. And if a person hears these facts, but not just hears them, but begins to build their life upon those facts instead of another assumed set of facts that we tend to build our life upon, that's what following Christ is about. Conversion happens when I place my trust and my hope on those facts. So let's see if we could rearrange them into just four things that will help us. Paul put them there, but, but let's just go through this a little more fine-tooth comb and just put it in four things. Do you remember the day when you were saved? Do you remember that day? Someone told you about these facts. Someone, whether it was a pastor or a teacher or a parent or brother or sister, I don't know, or a friend. Someone told you this stuff. There's power in this. And if we understand what this says and we would start with this you don't find this in what paul says but it's implied in what paul says and that would be this is that god is holy god's holy meaning that god is perfect in all that he is and his perfection is unlike anything that you and i know as sinful creatures and when god created us before the fall when he created adam and eve god and humanity could mix they could go together there could be fellowship and relationship there. So Paul mentions sin, but the, right, the reason sin has an issue is not just, oh yeah, that's bad stuff. It's bad because God is holy. And holiness and sin do not come together. They can't match. They're like oil and, and vinegar or oil and water. I mean, and, <laughs> and they can't. Oil and vinegar is bad, by the way. I, do you like salads with that on? That's awful stuff. Okay, I'm off on a bunny trail. Okay. Also, don't put fruit in salads, okay? I've got a few opinions in life. Um, <laughs> since we're talking about salad. But we're on the gospel. Let's get back to the gospel. All right. God's holy. Squirrel, yeah. <laughs> we, we're helpless sinners. What's this matter? Paul points it out. Is that we are sinners. That Christ died for our sins. But we're helpless sinners. And that sin separates us. You know, most people don't come to Christ until this becomes obvious to us. Whether that be by the word of God being preached, or that be by our life experience bringing us to a place where we're tired, where we're broken, where we're empty, where we realize we've failed and that there's trouble in our lives. But I appreciate and I love that God lets us get to those places because it helps us see how good the gospel is. See, I have to be broken over my sin before I really am saved because I need to repent and turn from that. We'll talk about that more in just a minute. Christ died, though, and rose again for sinners. 
according to the scriptures, as Paul said. So the third thing is that Christ died and he rose again for sinners. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, the amazing thing about the gospel is that Jesus stepped in and your unrighteousness and your inability to ever be righteous before God, Jesus stepped in and applies his righteousness for you and I. That's the amazing piece of that. And it restores us back to God. But number four is important as well. Salvation is enjoyed by faith in Christ. And it's, it's the building of my life upon that. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. You may know this verse. For it's by grace that you have been saved. Through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God. Not by works. So that no one can boast. See, the gospel does not tell us something we must do in order to be right with God. It tells us what has already been done for us. You don't have to perform for God. I used to wonder in my mind, what could I do to please God more and be right with him? The gospel says it's not about about earning his favor. It's his favor is extended to you and you just simply embrace that favor. It's, it's this, I used to wonder too, how, where does a person have to be in order to accept Christ? I mean, do they have to move morally a few steps before they could be saved? A man told me once this, God guts his own fish. We're simply called to be fishermen. You see, God, after a person comes to Christ, his, the power of his Holy Spirit, as the word is implanted in them, as the Holy Spirit works in a person, changes a man. He changes a woman. He changes a kid. We come to Christ filthy sinners, but he changes us. And that's what the gospel is about. And so what makes the gospel so good is that based on those facts, if I live upon those facts, that I can now have fellowship with God himself through Jesus Christ, through his death. And we'll talk about that some more. So how do I actually share that with somebody? I'm going to need a little feedback, and this is good on our, on our spring forward morning. We need some feedback from you here. What I'm going to share with you is a very simple, easy way that you can lock in your mind. If I ever was to share the gospel with somebody, here's what it is. I'm going to share with you a couple of words that you can remember and a couple of key concepts that it makes sense. If you know Jesus, this makes sense, and it'll come together in a very easy way. And I hope that this sticks with you for a long time. It served me well for many years as just a way of remembering what the gospel is about. Remember this, though I'm giving it to you in three words, it's not a formula. It's not a a box that you can hand to somebody. Most of the time when I've shared this, it's never quite as simple and formulated as how I'm going to share it with you. It's, It's kind of wild. It's a little bit out of control and it's a conversation. It goes different directions that you might not expect. And so don't, grab onto this and think, oh, I've got this formula. I'll just drive this down people's throats. Instead, this is a conversation. This is a means to know what it is so that we can take some of the confusion out of that. Okay? We scatter the seeds. God does the work. So let's, let me introduce to you three words and then I'm going to have you say them back to me. And let's do something a little different in this service. I'm going to have you guys be the first word. You guys are going to be the second word. You guys are going to be the third word. And then we'll mix it up after that, okay? So we're going to try to get these three words down. 
Okay, I'm going to share these three words with you. Ready? Problem, solution, response. Can you remember three words? And they make sense. If, think about them for just a second. Problem, solution, response. So let's go section by section. Number one. Okay, let's do it backwards now. You guys have it easy. Okay, ready? Okay, now everybody together, repetition just to lock it in our mind. Ready? Problem. Okay, you've got all you need so far. You could, you could share the gospel with those three things, but let's hang a few things on those three words. Let's start with the first one, problem. Key concept with problem is this. It's sin. The problem for humanity is sin. Romans 3.23, if you could remember this verse, I mark these two verses in my Bible. I have them, and I can move right through these three key concepts, problem, solution, response, because I have these words, in, or these, these underlined in my Bible. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Who has sinned? All of us, including me, including you. We've all sinned. You know, it's important because a lot of people will look at this and they'll think, I'll I'll ask this question of kids, and kids are so honest. I love it. Who sinned? All. Does that include you? No. (laughs) You ever lied to your mom or dad? No. You're lying right now? No. But all have sinned. It's important for us to see this because it's a confession. It's It's an understanding. If we don't have this basic spot, we, we, we really don't have that right starting point. We're starting from the wrong starting line. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In Romans 6, 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of that is death. There's a separation from God. Because of our sin, there's a separation. This can be difficult to admit until we've fallen on our faces, until we're in a spot where the Spirit of God reveals this to us. And as you're talking to somebody, you may find right off the bat there's a block right here. That there is no admission of sin, that there's, there's no need in their life, and you can't move further until God does a work on this part. And He may do it by you showing them these scriptures. Sin is important because God is holy. It's an offense to him. It breaks my relationship to him. The amazing thing about the gospel is this. It's okay to admit you have a problem. Think about that for a second. That's freeing. It's okay to admit you have a problem. And so we don't skip past this. It's part of the core foundation of trusting Christ with the remission of sin. It's, it's the understanding, I am a sinner. But it moves on. It moves on in, in some different ways, and it comes to Jesus here in the next one. But let me tell you a story. I had this boy who came to our youth group a number of years back, and he was a boy who was brilliant. And people were a little bit surprised when he showed up in youth group. He'd been studying different religions and exploring about different religions. And he'd been talking to me, asking me questions, and... And we got together one day and he said he was ready to do this thing we called trusting Jesus. And he said in all of his searching, in all of his looking for different things, he confirmed something that I've heard before and I've seen before, but that no other religion allows me to trust on Jesus who pays the penalty for me. The rest of them depend upon me paying my own penalty. It depends upon me earning favor with God. Christianity is relying on Jesus 
his righteousness for my unrighteousness. So that leads us to the solution, and that's Jesus Christ. Most of you know this verse, and so we'll make, make this the one that goes along with this. There's other verses you could use. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he what? That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. There's power in those words. Because the foundation of the gospel is, yes, sin, but Jesus. Jesus stepped in that we could be right with him. And it was through his death and his resurrection that we are made right with him. A lot of times as I've talked with people, I grow fearful in the middle of sharing what it is that I believe about Jesus. I'm afraid of their rejection. I'm afraid of what they might say back to me. I'm, I'm afraid I won't know what to say. Romans 1.16 has served me well as an encourager through the years. For I am not ashamed of the gospel For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Like Paul, would I stand not ashamed of the gospel? Would I be a man who, who, even if I'm rejected, would take the blow for Jesus? That Jesus absorbs it in me. We bring people to the place of understanding Jesus. If you don't come to Jesus, you haven't brought a person anywhere. We bring them to Jesus. Jesus is the one who saves. It's his death and his resurrection. It's important to bring up the cross. That Jesus died there because we learned about our sin. Sin brings death. But Jesus' death paid for our spiritual death. And so we might think, oh, okay, they agree with me here and we stop. But the third thing is what? Response. Because Just because I know that something is amazing, just because I know something is available, doesn't mean I've begun to live my life upon that. And the key concept to tie to response is repentance and faith. 1 John 1, 9, the second verse down on the screen there is, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and he's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There is no fear in confessing our sins to Jesus. There needs to be no fear there. We can confess them to him. Because he, he stepped in in love already in the world. And he wipes those away as we confess them to him. Romans 10.9 talks about this faith piece. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. This is not simply saying all I need to do is just get up and mumble some words. And I believe in my heart. The kind of belief that it's talking about is a belief that takes action. A belief that means I begin to take steps forward in that. If I really believe Jesus, then I would take a step of obedience. Where I can't see what's out on the next side. In that next step. That's the kind of belief it's talking about in there. As I've shared verses like this with people, I'll ask people the question, Do you want to place your trust in Christ? Do you want him to forgive you of your sins and come into a relationship with him? Sometimes people say yes. If I feel like they've said yes very quickly, do you know what my next question usually is? Are you sure? This is a big decision. You're making an enormous life decision. God's working in you, yes, but I want a person to stop and to consider the the enormous repercussions of what they're stepping into, both for the good and 
sometimes the difficulties that they might be stepping into? Are you aware of the, the, the deep price that was paid for this? I'll ask questions to feel around in that a little bit. And so I want a person to understand the depth of this decision. I might ask you a question, though, as a congregation. You don't have to answer this out loud, but how much does a person have to know to actually be saved? This is, this is a pretty big book. Do they need to know more than this, what we've talked about? This is salvation. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then God begins to grow that person. And, and as they're rooted and established in him like a plant, they begin to grow and fruit appears in their life. You see, this is the starting point. This is all it takes. It's that acknowledgement of Christ. And as I see a person who trusts and, and, and wants to make that decision, I'll ask them to pray with me. And this prayer is not something you're even going to find in Scripture. Paul doesn't mention, now pray with them. The prayer is actually just a means of them communicating with God because they've been kind of just communicating with me. And a prayer we might call a sinner's prayer, simply a means of, of a person now talking to God, confessing their sins, acknowledging the truth of the gospel, and telling Jesus that they want to walk with him. Does that make sense? It's, it's not a formula. There's no magic words that you say in that prayer, but it's a means of a person putting down a stake in the ground of this is the point. This is the place. Sometimes I've had people say to me, no, I don't want that. Or they'll dash all around and run away and there'll be all kinds of other conversation. They'll change the subject when it comes to that part. And that's okay. I, it's, it's not me. And there may be something I need to follow up with, but people will reject it. Remember Matthew 13. A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path and birds came and devoured them. People who heard the gospel and quickly it was just taken away. Other seed fell on rocky ground where they didn't have much soil and immediately they sprang up. Quick, yes, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. Since they had no root, they withered away. Need for discipleship, right? Right after somebody comes to faith. And other seeds fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked them out. So the pressures of the world and things around them quickly choked that bit of starting faith out in them. But other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. He who has ears, let him hear. You see, the experience of Jesus was that some people walked away. The normal experience of you as a disciple of Jesus is to scatter seed, but some will walk away. Paul said this, I planted in Apollos, another follower of Jesus, watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Friends, Jesus wants people to be saved. Here's a tool. Let's review it. Let's take this off the screen and just kind of review this. Jesus wants people saved. The message is found in this. Don't make this such a formula and such a box that it's stiff and there's no life to it. But let's see if we can remember some of these things. Let's go through the three main words. What are they? One. Okay. Then let's hang the, the main concepts on those. So the, the main concept with problem is? Main concept with solution? Main concept with 
uh, response? Repentance and faith. Two words. Repentance and faith. They're both important. Okay? Let's see if we can remember some of the verses that go with it. Okay? This is going to be even harder. Don't look at your papers. <laughs> okay? Put them down. Okay. The, some of the verses that go with um, problem. Okay. They're both verse 23. Okay. Romans 3.23 and Romans 6.23. Solution. Response. First John 1 John 1.9 and Romans 10.9. Okay. So you have a tool you can use. Okay. You see why I said today's an equipping day? Perhaps Jesus has been speaking to you, though, because you've never trusted Jesus. And you heard this gospel, and you heard this idea that you can place your trust on him and begin to live, learn, live your life founded on him. Why don't you do that today? Why don't you place your trust in him today? He brings salvation. He brings, he brings your life into relationship with him as you do that. If you do that, will you tell me? Will you tell a friend and that we could rejoice in that together, that God saves you today? But the rest of us, we know people who are not saved. God's desire is that all men be saved. But his means to carry that out, to deliver that, to communicate it, is your mouth and my mouth. Our actions back that up. It provides proof for that. But yet at the same time, we're all just sinners Sitting before God, I don't have to ever admit that I'm not a hypocrite because I am a hypocrite, but I'm saved by grace. We can pray that God would give us his eyes to see the world the way he sees his world. Brandon Heath, 10 years ago, wrote a song. This goes back now 10 years, and I, I didn't realize this song was that old, but it said this, give me your eyes for just one second. You remember this song? Give me your eyes so I can see everything that I keep missing. Give your love for humanity. Give me your arms for the brokenhearted, the ones that are far beyond my reach. Give me your heart for the ones forgotten. Give me your eyes so I can see. You ever prayed a prayer like that? God, would you give me your eyes to see the people that I go by? Step out on a busy street, see a girl, and our eyes meet. Do her best to smile at me, to hide what's underneath. There's a man just to her right, black suit and a bright red tie, too ashamed to tell his wife he's out of work. He's buying time. All these people going somewhere. Why have I never cared? My prayer this week for us as a church as we worked to be equipped today was that God would begin to put his heart in the way that he sees the world into his church family here at River of Life. And this is important. As we move forward as a church in the coming months, this is a foundation that's important. Because it doesn't matter if we start a bunch of outreach programs, if we as a church are not owning this in our own personal lives. Evangelism is not something that's, that's just, you, you pay somebody else to do. Evangelism is something we do as a church body, individually, on our sidewalk, in a coffee shop, around the table at home with family. That's what evangelism looks like. And I believe as we call upon God, if we look to God, he will produce fruit that will blow us away. God will begin to produce fruit that will just amaze us. 
So we're going to end with a prayer and then a song. And this prayer would be for anybody who has somebody you know, which would be all of us, who doesn't know Jesus. And I want you to pray specifically for that person. Pray that God would help you to see them the way God sees them. Maybe pick the hardest person, the the Paul in your life, and pray for an opportunity to begin to speak to them. That God would use you. So I'm going to be quiet. I'll close this in prayer, and then we'll stand and sing. today you have heard this message and you want to respond to the gospel like we talked about you can do that just by praying to God it's just a communication to him let him know you understand who you are that you're a sinner and that that sin has to be paid for somehow and you can't pay that but I remind you that Jesus paid it So ask for forgiveness and repent of your sins, which means turning from them. Pray that to God. And if you look at your life and you you want Jesus in your life, let him know how badly you need him and want him and ask for his help as you begin to follow him. And you turn your life in a different direction to be founded upon Jesus. Oh, there's a lot to learn. There's a lot that will come together, but don't worry about that now. Just trust Jesus where you're seated. And Father, around this room, there are many who have prayed for people they know that are not saved, that, that need to hear the gospel message. I believe that that's a beautiful worship fragrance cast up to you, Jesus. That you love those kinds of prayers. And that's right within your will and you'll respond to those kinds of things. And so God, we step out in faith and in confidence looking for what you'll do next. Maybe even five minutes after we leave here, opportunity, doors will begin to open. But God, give us courage and give us faith and give us trust in you. And Lord, may we be able to apply some of this equipping we've had today. Help it to be natural and not something that's boxed up kind of in the way it was presented here, but just in a natural way. And God, we just pray for great fruit and great harvest from River of Life in the sharing of the gospel to people who need it, who need healing and wholeness brought into their lives. Jesus, you you receive the sick. You receive the ones who are in need. And that's how we come to you. That's how others come to you. Thank you for the gospel that has saved us so many of us here who has given us new life and and hope in you. Thank you for loving us and being compelled to love us and come to this earth. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song?